I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, FAIR. There are other apps out there, but FAIR is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex, and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. Here's what the FAIR app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court, and there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SUSANG18 to receive 20% off. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. And if you've got an estate plan you put in place, you've probably named your spouse to be that decision maker. Um, so then you know, my first question is, do you want them to, you know, and oftentimes during the pendency of the divorce, that's the last person you want to be making decisions for you. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today my guest and I are going to share some of the major issues that arise with estate planning that come about after divorce and why it's so important to take care of these things quickly and even to start thinking about them during the divorce process. My guest today is the perfect person to give you some insights into this area, attorney Rebecca Wallenfels. She's a partner at Chapman and Cutler here in Chicago in the Trust and Estates Department, and she's been practicing law, I hate to say it, but almost as long as I have, uh, almost 25 years. I hate to hear that too, Susan. Doesn't it? It it just, I feel like it dates us, but at least, you know, the listeners know we know what we're talking about. Exactly. And you do have extensive experience representing individuals and institutions in estate planning and trust in estates manners, matters. And you're also a contributing author to A Lawyer's Guide to Retirement and Lifetime Planning. And I always love having the authors of books for lawyers on this show. I have an expert in negotiation coming on uh, soon who will be talking about, uh, she teaches, she's a professor who teaches negotiation to lawyers. I'm like, who better to get you know information mm-hmm. from than people who teach lawyers? So I'm very happy that you're joining us to talk about this important topic today. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for having me, Susan. Happy to be here. 
So this is a topic you and I met recently. We had a lovely tea at the Drake for the holidays, and we were talking, and estate planning issues are something that actually come up all the time in divorce matters, and they have a tendency to sometimes get brushed under the rug. We were just talking about this, um, and it's something that is actually really important that people think about, and it's not as daunting as perhaps it seems. So I'm, I'm really happy that we're going to at least open people's eyes to the issues that arise, some of the things they need to be aware of, because... Many married couples, especially those with children, right, they have estate planning in place, and it it sets out what's going to happen under all these circumstances. If somebody's disabled, if somebody dies, what's going to happen with the kids? But then the divorce happens. And what happens, you know, that's a, a question right there, what happens with all these documents? And, you know, what happens with your kids? What happens about the money? So having helped people through divorce for so long, I know this is a sticky area. And I, I, I'm thinking, let's start actually with during the divorce. Yeah. You know, what happens with these estate planning documents? You know, do you have any advice to people who are facing divorce about what they might want to consider in their estate planning documents, even if it's not a permanent solution? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's two things um, I'll point out. One is uh, most states, Illinois is not alone in this, all states usually have some laws that will kick in to usually eliminate a spouse um, from estate planning documents. Not all of them, but most of them. But that those rule laws only apply usually once you get your divorce decree. So during the pendency of the divorce, those laws have absolutely no impact. So what you said in your documents is what's going to happen. And second is even if you don't have documents, right? All the states have what I call default rules um, about you know who gets to make decisions for you if you become disabled, where your property goes if you die, and you know generally it's going to be to your spouse and you're still going to be married under those state laws because again until you get that divorce decree that's still going to be it so usually what i say um, i usually place primary emphasis on the first document i say you should absolutely look at and there's two reasons you should look at that and that is powers of attorney um and the reason for that is um so most people when they think about estate planning they think death right that's a typical thing I'm going to plan for what happens when I die. And, you know, um, you know, that's sometimes one is the last thing you want to think about while you're going through a divorce. You're already going <laughs> it's through bad one. enough to go through a divorce. Exactly. Now I have to think about dying. Thanks. Exactly. <laughs> but um, disability is also a major part of estate planning. And you can become disabled during, you know, divorce. and it can be something temporary. You can be in a car accident. Um, you know, you may have to undergo just some procedure or, you know, something else that takes you out of commission or, if you're lucky enough, you know, maybe you need to take a month and go to Bora Bora and meditate to eliminate <laughs> the stress, right? So, you know, but the state laws will typically give your spouse the authority to make decisions for you if you can't make them for property matters as well as for healthcare matters. And if you've got a, an estate plan you put in place, you've probably named your spouse to be that decision maker. Um, so then usually my first question is, do you want them to, you know, and oftentimes during the pendency of the divorce, that's the last person you want to be making decisions for you. Um, so those are the documents I would say, look at those first. If you have them, look at them and revisit them. If you don't have anything, cause you've never gotten around to doing a state plan, get some, 
um, get some a power of attorney in place um, to have someone to be named in that role to make decisions for you. Um, part of that is because you don't want them to in the event of disability. The second reason I also say is if you do have powers of attorney already to look at them, most powers of attorney are effective currently, like they're in place now. So even though we tend to use them for disability, they're often you know, in existence now. I have powers of attorney with my husband. I used them just you know last year when we were refinancing our mortgage, I signed his name to all the documents because our powers of attorney are effective now regardless of disability. So the other part about that is to think about the fact that this person you know that you're divorcing from can legally sign your name to a lot of legal documents. Um, and you may not want that to be the case. Another reason why you should go in and do new ones. Um, and even if you are, and I'll just say this, sick of dealing with lawyers, that does sometimes happen. Um, <laughs> You know, most states, the powers of attorney are, they're very formulaic. They're, they're by statute or there's a lot of, you know, forms that are available. You know, they're, they're not as complicated. And if you simply go and Google um, and print out new forms, I would recommend someone be careful about the Googling and just pulling out some form. You know, if you Google here in Illinois, Illinois power of attorney, you may get the DMVs <laughs> form of power of attorney that's for the DMV. You don't want that one, right? Um, so using some like online legal service, even where you fill out a, some questions, you pay a small fee just to produce the document and, you know, know that it's for you. Good idea to do. It doesn't take that long. It, and it's, it can fix that, that problem. The other thing that can do is if you do have documents or if you don't have documents is doing something maybe really short that's even temporary, as you had suggested, where you might just say something as simple as, you know what, I'm in the middle of a divorce to the extent I'm permitted by law. I you know, want all my property. I don't want my spouse you know, to receive any assets or anything. Something that's at least a statement of intent that you know, that's witnessed or notarized by whatever that a lawyer would recommend. So that would probably help in terms of if you actually do die. Now we're talking about death, you know, so that assets can maybe go to the kids, to other family members, even if that's just a stopgap measure and doesn't necessarily going to, it's not necessarily going to apply to everything, but it can be at least better than nothing. Right. And I think that's a, a, an important point. I always was, you know, I was always asked by clients when they were going through divorce, what they should do about their will. And, you know, it almost always when a married couple executes wills, to some extent, they're leaving their estate to the surviving spouse. Um, and during the pendency of the action, you most states have laws in place that do not allow you to disinherit completely a spouse, leave nothing to your spouse. So while you're getting divorced, may, may, many of my listeners may not understand that until you're divorced, you're married. Yes. Um, you know, legally, until the judge bangs a gavel on the divorce decree, you're married. So you, very often you cannot totally disinherit your spouse. But as Rebecca was just saying, you can at least make your intent to leave as little as necessary under the law to them because you're going through divorce. So you can execute sort of temporary documents during the divorce to do that, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, and I, you know, I think inherent in everything that you were just saying is estate planning is so much more than just a will, 
right? It's so much more than just this, my last will and testament, I leave my, you know, jewelry to this person, I leave my money to that person. There are a number of documents that are usually incorporated into estate planning, and you've referenced some of them, but why don't you just give a quick rundown of the ones you typically would include? Yes. So will, yes, for for everyone, powers of attorney for everyone. Everyone should have, you know, those kind of three documents. Other things to think about are going to be, you know, some people do a living trust and we'll talk about what what that is and how people use them. Um, But also your beneficiary designations are also very important. I consider those as part of your estate plan. So that's your, usually that's your retirement plans, any life insurance you have. And sometimes people have, um, like they've made their accounts, especially maybe a bank account, payable on death. Whether it's payable on death to a spouse, to kids, to someone else, um, you have, they, they've, They've done that, and that needs to, that that's part of everything to look at. And so, one other point I will make uh, about um, you know during the pendency of a divorce, and that is if you have a retirement plan, particularly an employer-sponsored retirement plan, four hundred one k, four hundred three b, all those fun letters um, <laughs> plans out there in pension plans. Um, you know, for that, if you are changing, wanting to change the beneficiary of that, because of federal law, you need a spouse's consent. So again, until you're divorced, you know, that spouse has got to sign off on you changing that beneficiary designation. Um, So that's one where I do find people sometimes will wait if they don't want to ask about that. Um, They'll ask for, uh, they'll wait until they're actually divorced. And then they'll, then they don't need the consent form to do that. So that's just one thing to keep in the back of the mind, um, is that can be one where I see sometimes people deferring that one, but just be aware that then you do want to update that one. Um, because that is also one where state law doesn't always eliminate them being the beneficiary. So that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, and Illinois is is an example of that actually. So our we have various statutes that come into play. Like when you do get that divorce decree, that say okay, what they do is they say your spouse, your former spouse, is treated as being deceased for all purposes of the document. It applies to wills. It applies to a call revocable or living trusts. And as as of last year, last year we finally had this life insurance policies where you named your spouse. So before in Illinois, we didn't even apply it to life insurance policies. We now do. One year. Um, um, But there's nothing that says anything about your qualified plan benefits as well or your IRA. Um, So then it's going to depend on those plan documents uh, as to what happens if you get divorced. And a lot of times, you know, if you've named your spouse in there, it's going to be the spouse, even if you got divorced, at least in Illinois. Some states do have statutes that apply, but not every state does. No, actually, I think it's a majority of states do not have laws. And one thing I do want my listeners to know, in addition, is once a divorce is filed, once it's actually served and the paperwork is, is in process, I'm going to call it, most states have something called temporary restraining orders that go into place. And often in those orders is an order that you not change beneficiaries of certain documents. Um, so many of these things, once the divorce is pending, cannot be changed unless it's by agreement or a court order. 
They can be changed prior to the divorces, divorce being commenced in many states. But that's another thing to layer in to what we're talking about here. Some things you are not allowed to change, but be aware that then there may be these consequences if something were to happen during the divorce. And I think this highlights another reason why it's so important when the divorce is finalized to start cleaning up this estate paperwork, right? All of these many documents that we've been talking about here, even if you haven't changed them during the divorce, now your divorce is final. It's time to start cleaning that up. And my experience as a divorce attorney is I'm people are exhausted by the time they're done with their divorce. And the last thing they want to do is what you just said is talk to another lawyer. But it's actually very important because all of these unintended consequences can happen, things that you've not even thought about, like the beneficiaries of pensions, the beneficiaries of 401ks, savings, uh, different accounts, investment accounts, and things like that. So definitely you need to go out and do that. But what are some of the other things that should be addressed once the divorce is final? Yeah. So um, I always say, you know, even generally for anyone who's doing an estate planning, right, is even if you've got one in place, you should always revisit it every five to 10 years and always revisit it when you have a major life event, right? And divorce is a major life event. So it is, it is, you know, it is on there. It's part of being, you making a smart financial decision is revisiting that estate plan, no matter how painful it is. And, you know, I'll, I would just say, um, no offense to divorce attorneys, estate planning lawyers tend to be very nice and kind. Most of <laughs> us get into this area because we love working with people. We're very people oriented. Um, so <laughs> we're not all bad. I know some no, people sort of make the sign not. of the cross actually, and back no, away. I, I say the best divorce lawyers are those who um, have good, can establish good relationships with clients. Um, and the same thing though is true with estate planning clients is you wanna have, feel comfortable with the person you're, you're talking to. Um, and again, you know, to think of it, I sometimes think it, it, it helps to think of your estate plan as planning to make the lives of your children or your family easier and not that you're planning for death, right? Because that, that just goes, oh my God. You know, like, uh, again, do you want to really start thinking about death? Even though that's a, a component of, we talk about what happens when that happens, but really what you're doing is you are making the lives of your children and your, who, or whoever's going to be making decisions for you a lot, a lot easier. This is for them, as well as making sure that your wishes are fulfilled and, and the person you want to be making decisions, you know, is the person going to be making decisions. Um, so couple of reasons, uh, things I will point out that I think are particularly sort of important. One, again, is, is powers of attorney. You know, again, I think that of, of all, if you want to have a list of priorities of things to, to do, do that. And part of that is because now if you don't have a spouse, um, you know, the default rule gets to be children. It can be collateral family members or the probability that you might need a probate court proceeding if you do become disabled, it's a lot higher. So powers of attorney, again, I will emphasize, get those, you know, if you do, again, do nothing else or you want to prioritize, get some in place. If you didn't do that during the dependency of, of the divorce, get get that done. Um, the second is, I will, I'd say to look at your beneficiary designations. 
a lot of people, you know, a lot of their assets and net worth is tied up into a retirement plan or a life insurance policy. And with that, obviously, you want to make sure you're adhering to any of the terms of your divorce decree. If they required a particular beneficiary designation, you want to make sure that's in place. Um, so you're not violating that. Um, but that's the next, next, I'd say next order priority. And then the third is, is yeah, looking at what a will and what your will says and, and getting that updated, um, you know, um, for that. And with a will, I will toss in living trust too, because I sort of view them as, you know, sort of part of the same thing. They're tools that usually work hand in hand and, you know, whether you need a living trust or not, um, you know, it, that's a conversation to be had with your estate planning lawyer, um, but they go together um, in my mind. I'd like to take a moment now to talk to my mediation colleagues. As many of us are facing the inability to continue our in-person mediation and dispute resolution practices, I want you to know there's an alternative option. Many of you do know that I have a fully online mediation and coaching practice, and for more than two years, I've actually been training other professionals in how to conduct their mediations online through my Learn to Mediate online program. I've always said that the future of mediation and dispute resolution is online, and now, honestly, that future is here. In my two-hour training program, you'll learn the basics of conducting your mediations through an online video conferencing platform, and I'll cover the practical and ethical considerations that you need to know to do it well. Right now, we also have several webinars scheduled, and we offer one-on-one -on -one and group trainings by appointment. I've reduced the cost of the webinars to only $299 so that as many of you as possible have access. So go to www.learntomediateonline.com to find out more and register today. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, leading trusts and estate attorney, Rebecca Wallenfels, on No More Till Death Do Us Part, Estate Planning and Divorce. Because with a guardian, right, guardianships under most state laws end when a child is 18. Um, and at that point, whatever money is left over, it's turned over to the 18-year-old. Uh, um, not, not a good idea. No. I mean, I was a very responsible 18-year-old, and yet I would say I should not have been left any money at 18, right? If you are enjoying this episode, check out Everything You Need Is Within You, Healing from Trauma with Kundalini Yoga Expert, Daya Carr. What is different about Kundalini is that you're working on the subconscious mind and you're having a different, different physical experience in your body. And that starts to change us. And so you will come out feeling much more neutral. And ideally when we're approaching things from a neutral space, we have that third option, right? We're in that triangulate rather than positive or negative, male or female, right or wrong, black or white. When we're in that neutral space, we have the ability to see the forest for the trees, and then we take things less personally, and then we are less reactive, and there is enormous potential for healing in that. And now we return to today's show. You know, and that's a, that's a good point. One of the things that you said, when I was representing clients in divorce and the divorce was final and I was sending them the nice, you know, thick package of all the paperwork, finalizing their divorce, their cover letter that went with that 
always had a line item that I suggest that if they have not already reviewed the divorce decree with their trust and estates attorney that they do so now. And I will point out, I've always told my clients to do this long before the divorce was final. But at the very least, as a part of, you know, divorce does not end the day that gavel comes down. There is a lot of, there are obligations in your divorce decree that say, will one of you is supposed to name someone or the children as a beneficiary of a life insurance policy or a, an, a retirement account. There's often requirements about estate planning and what must be designated in that estate planning. So it's important so that you are in compliance with your obligations under your divorce that you start to carry those things out, not just shove that paperwork in a drawer and forget about it. So, you know, what Rebecca just said about taking that to the divorce attorney or to the trust and estates attorney to review and start working on compliance is very important. But one other thing that you mentioned, and I think maybe we could touch on this for listeners, because you mentioned that a lot of why you do estate planning is for the benefit of those you leave behind or those who are going to be there and, and remaining when either you are non-copus mentis, unable to make decisions for yourself, but also your children and your family if you aren't there. So you're telling them and having the conversations with them and setting up the playing field for them for when you're not there. And, and having gone through some events with my family recently, I have a family member who's unfortunately suffered a stroke young. She's only in her 50s, and it was not an anticipated event. And I will tell you, things were complicated by the fact that we did not have any paperwork in place about what her wishes were. And we everything worked out. But just imagine, you know, you're divorced. Your spouse is not there anymore to take care of these things. It's important to let your family members know who should be making decisions, and then you can have those conversations with that person about the decisions you'd want made, right? Absolutely, right, right. And this is a time to, you know, kind of to do that. And getting these documents in place, you know, with a good attorney in there will also tell you it's important to then have those conversations once you get the document with whoever is going to be making decisions, how you want things handled, both for yourself, as well as if you've got minor kids, you know, what your priorities are in terms of how funds are going to be spent for them, education, you know, at what age. So yeah, absolutely. And it does, it does make it easier. And again, you know, um, you know, disability and death, um, those two things, especially when disability is unexpected, um, whether again, whether it's temporary, because you've been in a car accident or whatever, or it's, it's more permanent, you know, it's a stressful time for your loved ones and not having documents adds to that stress. It really does. Having the documents there in place and having had the conversations with them ahead of time about what you want. Also, you know, because what I find is it gives them the permission to know that the decision that they're making are the ones that you really wanted. Um, And that's the best thing you can do for them. It's really a gift to them. And I can say that now from personal experience. Yes, absolutely. 
You know, another area or thing that I would like people who have gone through divorce or are going through divorce with children to think about. So let me set up a scenario. You go through divorce, you now, the divorce is final, and you, as a part of your divorce settlement, have certain assets in your name. So maybe you you received the marital residence, it's in your name, it's legally going to be titled to you. You have retirement accounts, you may have investment accounts or bank accounts. So, and you have minor children. Your children are under the age of majority. Usually that's 18, I think, in all states. So now you have an estate planning issue that's a little different than when you were married because now if you pass away, you have minor children who you likely want to benefit from all these assets that you have, but you now have a new sort of paradigm. Their their other parent you know, is no longer your spouse. So maybe you could talk about that situation and what people should consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, so there's two considerations that are relevant there. One is the choice about who's going to raise them, right? Um, Absolutely. That's that's the first one, right? That's always the first one. Now, obviously that, you know, your your, um, former spouse, if they survive, you are the likely ones who are going to become their guardians. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, But you also do have the opportunity to identify, you know, who you would recommend, because what if something happens to your former spouse? And now you, again, you're back in that situation where we're, what if you're both gone, um, who is going to one, raise the kids. Um, So you want to express your choice in in there. So you do want to identify who you, what your preference is as to who would be guardians. And there we have, you know, usually two types of guardianship. It's guardian of the person, so the person who's going to raise them, and then guardian of the estate. And that's the person who may be managing the money for them. Um, and you are free to pick any guardian of the estate. It does not have to be a spouse. Like, the spouse may be the one who's going to end up raising them then. Um, but in terms of managing any money um, that they inherit, whether from you, um, and I'll, and you have more choices there, but at least name a guardian of the estate. It doesn't have to be the spouse. It can be, you know, your brother, your parent, whatever. If there's someone else in the family you trust to manage the money, it can be the former spouse. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, if you think that's appropriate role for them. Um, the other thing people, and this is where people do tend to use trusts. And I see it a lot because with a guardian, right? Guardianships under most state laws end when a child is 18. Um, and at that point, whatever money is left over, gets turned over to the 18-year-old. Um, <laughs> Not a good idea. No. I mean, I was a very responsible 18-year-old, and yet I would say I should not have been left any money at 18, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, so there are there are a couple of other things. There is the U- Uniform Transfers of Gifts to Minors Act. Every state has that. Most of that under those states, you can maybe extend. Um, it's not a guardianship. I call that like a statutory trust almost. But basically, your naming custodian is going to manage the money Usually you can do it at least until 21. Some states permit you to go even as far as 25, but there still is you know, sort of like an, a concept of when they're an adult is to some degree, but it's not that, you know, but still 21. 21 is, you know, maybe not that dif- much different than 18, right? <laughs> Hopefully uh, a little better. A little but, bit yeah. better, but still. I mean, and then the, the other part is, you know, most of them are still in college if they've gone straight through, right? Um, you know, so they may not be in the best position to be getting a chunk of money and like knowing how to manage it and spend it. Um, so this is where trusts come in, right? And, and trusts are great because the whole idea with the trust is you're going to give property to someone who's a trustee 
they're going to be making decisions. They're in charge of the management. They're, you know, legally, I'll just say they're the owner of the property from a legal perspective. But basically it just means, I just say, they're the decision maker, right? Um, and then you name your child as the beneficiary, right? And so as beneficiary, you can get the economic benefits of whatever the property that trustee holds. But you get to define what those economic benefits are, right? And, you know, I jokingly say, if it's, you know, that they have to graduate, you know, with an A from college, <laughs> they graduate with an A from, you know, um, if they've got to learn how to sing the Spar Spangled Banner, you know, on the street corner every Monday and Tuesday of the week for, you know, whatever, you can define whatever it is you want, you know, aside from requiring them to practice a certain religion, <laughs> requiring them having certain specifications about marriage, you can say whatever you want to about how the money gets used and spent, and more importantly, what age or age maybe they get to in sort of inherit or become, you know, get the money themselves. So that becomes, so trusts are really flexible in that sense. And that's why we tend to use them. Now there's, there's typical terms people will put in there. They want to provide for support and education till the child is of a certain age. And sometimes that's 25, sometimes 28. I had, I have plenty of clients who are like, 45. I was just going to say, I just saw one the other day. It was 40. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you get to provide those rules and definitions. Um, and again, you know, usually I do these in the form of in someone's living trust, you know, cause we might as well create a living trust. Now if we're going to create a trust for kids. Um, and then within that, that document is revocable and changeable. So as the kids grow up, and it changes, you can always go back and revisit that um, and change those ages or terms, um, whatever it is. Um, but right, and that, tool. yeah, that's an important point. Um, I recently, the one that I was just referencing there that I just saw with a client, um, one of their children has a substance abuse issue. And so they, the trust that they put mom and dad put into place has different provisions for that child um, that allow, that make one of the requirements for him to receive benefits from the trust that if the trustee feels he needs to be tested or get treatment, mm -hmm. that he has to comply in order to receive benefits. And it's not in a punitive fashion. Let me just say that. It was done out of love and care so that his needs would be met even if he continued to suffer from these challenges. And that's, a that's you know, as things change, maybe they'll feel he's gotten beyond the addiction issue. They will be able to change those provisions. But there's quite a bit you can do to protect your children yeah. in a trust document that allows for you to still, I, I call it parent beyond Yes. you know, say the beyond the grave or beyond, you know, time to help your children out. But it's also so important what you were saying earlier about, you know, if you have a spouse that you've divorced, and this comes up quite often, where the spouse has issues, they're an addict, they have substance abuse issues, they have mental health issues. Yeah. You now have post-dissolution an opportunity in your estate planning documents to designate an alternate guardian for your children because maybe their remaining parent, if something happens to you, is not capable of taking care of them. So this is your chance to put some thought into who would be good and to talk to those people, right, ahead of time. Would oh, you yes. be willing to take on guardianship of my minor children um, and put things into place? So it's not just, oh, I hate my ex-spouse. I don't want them to raise my children. There are a lot of instances that go on in life where 
you know, the estate planning allows you to, to the best of your ability, address those issues and continue to take care of your children's best interests going forward. So that's one of the things I love about estate planning and about what you do. I know people think it's all death and dying and bad. It's actually a huge expression of love for your loved ones uh, when you take care of these things for them. Yep, absolutely. So what sort of, you know, just as a little final uh, matter, what are some of the things that you've seen go wrong when people don't address these issues after the divorce is finalized? Um, So a a couple of things. So, right, uh, you know, on a big one is one is that um, the the former spouse um, is, you know, inherits assets when you do die, right? And you didn't want them to. And that is, usually I find that in cases where someone was relying on the state law to kick in to, you know, change kind of their own estate plan um, where they hadn't done so already. And again, the biggest one is beneficiary designations, you know, um, and, um, you know, the worst part about that I have seen is that then ended up actually creating a riff for the former spouse, in this case it was a, the ex-husband, who was still the beneficiary on a, a big retirement plan. And although the divorce decree addressed that this, you know, the the the, the retirement plan was the, spa, the, the, the wife's, it didn't address beneficiary designations. Nothing in the divorce decree did. And she had left it still with him named on there. And the state law didn't change that. Um, but um, obviously the kids were second. And they ended up having a big fight, almost went to court over this because the kids felt, no, this is wrong, right? You know, mom, right, mom wouldn't want you it's to. It's not what mom wanted. It's not no. what mom wanted. And it, 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 I mean, it destroyed the relationship that they had, right? Just because of that, you know, because dad was like, no, I like, a, she left me here. You know, they each had their own reasons, but it, it really, and that's the part that was really sad to see. Um, is that subsequent fight that came out over a legal battle because, you know, someone hadn't gotten around to really, you know, changing that. Um, the other thing I, I have seen, and I'll, this is the thing to look out for, is another reason why to go back and look at that is um, I've seen people who had provisions in there for their former in-laws. Oh, yes. Um, and, you know, although the state law may remove um, your former spouse from your documents, they don't remove in-laws and, you know, and you may, and you may love your in-laws still um, and still want to provide for them. That's absolutely fine. But you also may not have. And so some people don't always, they don't always think about that. The fact that they get in-laws in, in the documents maybe somewhere. Um, so that's another reason to, you know, revisit all of these documents and, and to look at that. Um, the other thing, and I will just point this out too, another reason why it's important is, you know, going back, we've talked about the fact that a lot of state laws kick in and can automatically remove the spouse. Some people actually want their former spouse back in there, maybe not to inherit property, but again, to be that decision maker. You know, they would want the spouse to be the guardian. They would want the spouse to be the trustee to handle the trust for the minor kids because they think that's the most appropriate person. And I actually had a situation come up for a client who didn't realize it. Like when she got divorced um, is that her, she had, you know, typical estate plan that It was an ongoing trust for kids. And she understood enough from her divorce lawyer that her husband was out. Her former husband was out as, you know, inheriting property, um, you know, on there. And so it was going to go to the kids. And she said, okay, that's fine. That's, you know, what I would want anyway. So no, no need to change it. 
And then she came and sat down with me. And this was like six years later. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's also out as a beneficiary. He's also out as trustee. And she had named a bank. So I'm like, if something happened to her, now a bank is managing the money, not her husband. Not her ex. And the question was, is that what she had wanted? She's like, oh, never had thought about that, right? Um, Because when those laws kick in, they take them out of everything. Um, So it was a good reason, again, to sit down there and think that through with a good estate planning lawyer is sometimes you may want them in the document for a particular reason. And if so, then you have to go and add them because they've been removed by default rules. (laughs) So so there's a lot of reasons. I think on those, you know, cautionary tales, um, I hope the listeners can see that there's this is this. It's not that it's a super complicated issue. It does require some thought and there may be a lot more to it than you just suspect on the surface. So definitely I encourage and and you encourage people to review their divorce documents and their trust and estates documents at the time of divorce. How would my listeners reach out to you and how would you suggest if they're not in the Chicago area, they find a good trust and estates attorney? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for, in terms of reaching me, um, so my last name, Wallenfels, if you Google Wallenfels as an attorney, you will find me. Not a whole lot. It's just Wallenfels is not that easy to find. Um, so, um, from that sense, I think you'll include maybe a link to our web, web I will page. absolutely um, in the yeah. show notes, but that's usually my contact information is there. I'm happy to offer anyone a little consult consultation and then they can decide whether they want to engage me for services. Um, but again, you know, what I do is I really generally, I work with people who are here in Illinois because that's where I'm registered. I'm also registered in Wisconsin, so I can practice law in Wisconsin. Wonderful. Um, so that's also a fine. Um, if, in your own jurisdiction, usually um, that you can get a list if you, you know, you can ask around, but you can also contact the local bar association for the state um, or for the community in Chicago. I will get, you know, like New York, for example, has a New York state bar. Um, they do another really good website um, is um, the abbreviations are ACTEC. Stands for the American College of Trust and Estate Council, um, ACT. So ACTEC. Yeah, there you thank go. you. <laughs> um, excellent. Um, they also so these are um, it's a it's a professional organization, but you have to be qualified of a certain age and experience level to be admitted. So they tend to be very experienced trust and estate planning attorneys. Um, but there you can go in there and do a search based on your state and, and um, even city and find if there's an ACTAC lawyer in, in your area. They are going to be a fantastic lawyer um, too. That that's a great resource, and I you know I, I do also just want to mention many times your your divorce attorney if you had one will also I you know just having practiced for as long as I have in the area I've met some wonder just like Rebecca here I've met some wonderful attorneys who um, practice in other areas of law and we often will have referrals so thank you so much for joining me here today Rebecca I think that this has been a wonderful you know uh, eye opening episode for clients to make them think about what they can do to protect their love ones as uh, they go through the divorce, but also after the divorce. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome, Susan. Happy to be here.
Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com, where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.